You're about to listen to the Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders and for coders about all aspects of life as a developer. I'm Will, the curmudgeonly experienced developer. And I'm Beach, the optimistic newbie developer. Welcome to another episode of Complete Developer Podcast. Before we get started, Will, what have you been fighting this week? I've not really been, I don't, I don't know if it's necessarily fighting. It is. Yeah, it's fighting. It's totally fighting. Um, <laughs> I've been dealing with obfuscated JavaScript again. Again? And, yeah, and what's weird is, it's like, it's sort of like a similar almost, because you you get to a point where you start seeing how the pieces work, and you really shouldn't, because you're just, it's you shouldn't be messing with it. Um, you're feeling like a wizard, is what you're telling me. Yeah, like, just total... Like I've been doing things like there, there's a component that we're using and it's got a it's got a public function on it that takes certain parameters and I know other parts of the component are calling that because I can see it in the obfuscated JavaScript and so I made a function I took I took I took that function and I put it into its into a variable you know I set it equal to it and then I made another function that wrapped it and and logged and where I could put a breakpoint and then shoved it back in. I love and JavaScript, over, don't yeah, you? Yeah, just like monkey patched it so that I could actually see what was going in. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, you know, I was talking to some coworkers about it, and, you know, first of all, they think I'm a little bit insane for messing with it. but You are, but... Well, it's the thing is, is the company that uh, wrote this package is in Germany, and this was after 2 o'clock in the afternoon, so it's like, okay, I can either try to fight this right now, or I can wait till morning. And I really wasn't in a waiting sort of mood. And... Um, so yeah, I just I just hit it in the face, and <laughs> yeah, that's um, your attitude. Yeah, and it worked. Um, I got done what I needed to do, and actually was way easier than I thought it was going to be. But I had to reverse engineer to to get there. But my uh, my hallway quote to one of my coworkers is: "All JavaScript is open source if you believe enough." <laughs> oh, that that has to go on something that we put out. Yeah, like like, like a T shirt or something. And it was, I, uh, it was pretty awful. Um, you know, you do that thing. And and the other thing that was really causing a problem is, is that website because of session state and some other weirdness that's going on that I haven't fixed yet. Um, when I'm doing these debugging sessions, I have to do them fast. So I have about 20 minutes, give or take in which to write the monkey patching JavaScript and shove it in there and get what I've got to get out of it before it signs me out. Oh, wow. Can and you not extend that? You, yeah, you you can, kind of. There there's there's a lot of code in there that is really brittle, and we couldn't. I couldn't really fix it. And so, yeah, I just, it was like timed hacking. Oh, wow. Um, and I'll tell you, like, it was a lot of fun while I was doing it, but you know how, like, if you work really hard and you come home, and you know, normally you like you code when you get home. You know, that's kind yeah, of my schedule. It's just, yeah. Well, if I get a little tired or I won't code, I'll play video games because I just can't. I can't do anymore. Mm-hmm. That day I got home and I didn't play video games. I got on YouTube and watched somebody play video games. I was so shot I couldn't do anything. It's like that episode of South Park. I mean, I was just I was just sitting there just going. I, I just wanted my daughter to go to sleep so I could go to bed and go to sleep and not be woken up. Yeah, you ever watch Twitch TV? Yeah, yeah. It, it was it was really really rough. Um, 
you know, like I said, I got through it, and it's actually it's actually really clean. But you know, if you obfuscate your JavaScript, and I have to use your stuff, and I can't get a hold of tech support, I'm going in there. <laughs> and you're not going to stop me, so it'd be better just to give me the source. I'm just saying. Yeah, but how many people are like you? Their n is one or greater. Doesn't really answer my question, does it? There's always going to be some psycho that's going to do what I just did. That's true. So this, you might as well just this time the psycho happened to be you. It's not the first time. <laughs> so anyway, uh, that's all I've got. What about you? Well, this uh, I'd like to say it's been an interesting week, but actually it's been an interesting day. Last week I started applying for uh, for jobs, uh, junior developer jobs. Uh, mainly because I just was waiting till after the holiday season, till things kind of ramped back up. Until people are hiring and they're actually in the office? Yes. Well, uh, that worked. Uh, over the end of last weekend, last week and last weekend, uh, I probably put out about 100 applications. Wow. Junior dev jobs. Between here and... Where I'm living now, and Nashville, and up in Cleveland, Ohio, where my sister lives. And out of that, I have six possible interviews nice. coming up. And you had some today. Yeah. I've got a couple of different options. Um, I think about three of them here in, in town, in Nashville. Uh, one up in Cleveland, Ohio, where, the, where my sister lives. And of course, I told her I, I had it up phone interview today about it and uh, she was like oh, awesome keep applying yeah because <laughs> you know i mean she's up there she's got her husband and his family but you know my well, parents and i live here in tennessee and our other sister lives down in florida so like her whole family lives like the closest yeah. is my grandmother lives four hours away yeah well the other thing too is it's probably easier to get a junior dev job somewhere other than Nashville, just like the health related stuff really makes it rough around here. So uh, I guess it's time to uh, face the music. <laughs> you know, I'm actually in a mood for that music. It's been uh, it's been an interesting day. Yeah, it has. I've had a lot of really good things so far as the job search has gone, but then some other things that yeah. you know, just, well, just let's need go that, that good crazy music before we get into up. that crazy music i mean let's, let's go ahead and explain to the listeners what happened today <laughs> because we we had a podcast outline the beach put together and we it, started recording around 5 30 by the way and it is now 10 30 at night yeah and we have no podcast episode tonight um we actually like went an hour and a half of recording and then threw it away <laughs> and um, it's okay, but we realized as we're going through it that we both have this very negative emotional reaction to the podcast, like to what was in there. Yes. And it, it wasn't making for good content, and it was it ended up being this dump of our collective ids. Oh, it, it, it was bad. And Towards, I guess it was about an hour and 15 minutes, I just looked at Will, and I said, I'm getting very, very angry and frustrated. And he's like, me too. Yeah. And then the next 15 to 20 minutes, we spent talking about why we were angry and frustrated and decided to end the episode. And then we figured out that we're it was the, the episode. Yeah, we're doing the wrong episode. <laughs> yeah. 
Exactly. And and so that was our day to day for both of us. And we're both we're both exhausted. You know, I got like three hours of sleep last night. I think you said you had three. Yeah. And then the night before was bad. You know, it's just you know, sometimes things don't hit and uh you have to deal with that. Yeah. And it's you know, that's life. That's why we plan ahead, that's why we make things resilient. That's why that's why we record three to four episodes ahead because all right, we've got time to fix this. Yeah, we don't have to try to push something out that's that's not going to work. Yeah, and uh, so anyway, uh, you know, given that we we really need to roll that that music because I just need to pick me up. Yeah, you need to you need to pick me up. <laughs> <laughs> for IOTs have something for those of you that uh, like to get your exercise uh, outdoors but live in the city it is uh, the Hayes minimalist urban bike navigation system well I mean if you if you live in the city you can go to the hood you can run <laughs> yeah, depending on your city but yeah yeah <laughs> it's just the problem is the whole stopping thing doesn't work out so well yeah uh, this is a, a minimalist navigation device for uh, mainly for urban cyclists. Um, it's designed focusing on high quality materials, style, and simplicity. Uh, it has an LED display that's good for both day and nighttime navigation. Um, so, where, what does it display on? It's. Oh, so it's like you, you mount it to the bike. You mount it on the bike. Okay. Yeah. Um, I was thinking, is this a heads-up display? Oh, that would that be cool, word? but no. Uh, don't don't get me started on my uh, my motorcycle heads-up displays. Oh wow! Yeah. <laughs> those are those are really cool. But uh, anyways, the, this is for for bicycling, and it's uh, it works like a, a kind of like a it's a compass, uh, but instead of pointing north, it points towards your destination that you've set through an app on your phone. And it kind of leaves you free to choose your own route through the city, but um, it helps you kind of stick to the roads and shows you what direction you you need to be heading. Okay. So uh, it's, it's really neat. I mean, uh, looking at the image on the, the website here, it's uh, got a green, looks like it's got like a green circle, for where you're headed, and then a blue dot showing you moving towards it. Um, so it's not a very information-dense display, which is probably not a bad idea, considering that you're on something where you could fall over if you're not paying attention. Exactly. That's the whole idea. So. Is it's, a, it's a very minimalistic navigation device that helps you... It's designed to help you move towards your goal, but not show you a particular route. Gotcha. So this week we're going to be talking about asking questions and giving advice, and this is a this is an episode that's kind of dual use. You know, part of it will be for junior developers to understand how to ask questions in a way that kind of makes it easier to get an answer that actually helps you. The giving advice portion will be for senior devs to understand how you can help your junior devs a lot more. We lose a lot of people, you know, as, as people progress from being a junior developer up to mid-level, you know, it's like half of them disappear. And this is how you can help 
make sure that the ones that you're working with aren't those. To get started, we're going to talk about uh, the junior dev asking advice. Now, I, I do want to point out before we get started that this section isn't only for junior devs. Um, senior devs may need advice on something that they're not familiar with. Yeah, or on the business. Yeah. And so uh, as a senior dev, a lot of you guys that listen, uh, you know, feel free to, to use some of these strategies too because they will help you. Um, also, junior devs, when we get to talking about giving advice, um, there may be times where you know more about a certain aspect than uh, some of the senior devs, too. Yeah, I've run into this before, and I've actually used this. Um, if you can explain things to a, a senior dev, and you know more about that particular technology, especially if they're not the guy that hired you, they'll remember that you helped them at some point in the past. They won't remember your job title. And so they'll recommend you at a, a much higher level than you might expect. And it can really it can really boost your career quite a bit if you can if you can get specialized knowledge in something that a senior dev needs help with. Exactly. So to start off, there's a a perception just in the world in general that asking questions makes you look incompetent. Like I couldn't figure this out, so I have to go ask somebody about it. Um, and part of the the concept of mentorship and apprenticeship is to have someone to ask those kind of questions to. But before we really get into asking questions, I want to tell you guys about a study that was done over at Harvard University. What they did was they looked at perceptions of the people asking questions and the people the questions were asked to. And they found that asking good questions has the opposite effect than what most people think. Yeah. They think it makes them look incompetent, when actually it makes them look very smart. It makes them feel incompetent, really, is mm -hmm. what's going on. It makes Because you're asking a question because you don't, you've exhausted your resources to be able to answer it. Exactly. However, from the other end, pretend you're an elementary school teacher for a minute. Mm -hmm. Which kid asks the questions in class? The uh, annoying smart one? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, this, the smarter kids will ask more questions. No. The other thing that it does is it's, it's essentially telemetry for your learning. Mm -hmm. because the person that's explaining things to you doesn't know how well you're getting it until you ask questions because they may be missing something in their explanation as well. Mm -hmm. And then they realize, oh, here's how they arrived at this point. They're actually smarter than I thought they were because the way I presented this was bad. Yeah, exactly. And I, you know, I've been on that end and had a junior dev not ask questions when they should have. Mm -hmm. And it's burned me because, you know, they'll go and they'll blow a day on something and, you, you think it's progressing, and you come back and you look, and it's like they just completely went in the wrong direction because they understood something you know, in a way that it wasn't meant. The biggest point here is that it's a feedback loop. Yes. The tighter you can make your feedback loops in anything, the faster you will grow. Mm -hmm. This is true, in, you know, for instance, in martial arts. If you're doing you know, one-person forms, you don't grow as fast as if you're doing two person forms because you learn from the other person's yeah. movements. It's the same thing with... And when you do the, seven person forms, it's really amazingly fast. Right. <laughs> but, you know, this is this is why you see a lot of developers do automated unit tests. It's mm -hmm. because they get a tight feedback cycle. They're not waiting mm -hmm. for QA to get a hold of it and, you know, two weeks later it comes back across their desk. It's, you know, ten minutes. Yeah. And 
so it's it's just important to remember that this is kind of the way that this is structured mm -hmm. is the, is the tightening of the feedback loop. And so we're going to show you some strategies to actually yeah. make that happen a little bit better. Uh, exactly. Um, but going back to the the study, I have a couple of quotes I want to read to you guys. The first one is from the abstract. Individuals perceive those who seek advice as more competent than those who do not. The, the next quote is from the discussion at the end, um, and it says, Not only is advice-seeking beneficial for the spread of information, but it may also boost perceptions of competence for advice-seekers and make advisors feel affirmed. And what it does, we, we talked about this a little bit, it shows that you're thinking about the problem. Well, and it also does another thing that, you know, I know you didn't really mention here, but it, there's an interesting psychological phenomenon. People don't like you as much when you help them as when they help you. Mm -hmm. And so it actually, it's somewhat creates a bit of a bond between you and whoever's higher up the chain. Yeah. Because they feel like, hey, I'm, I'm helping this person. Now my reputation is somewhat on the line. My you know, I've got a sunk cost in this individual. Mm -hmm. So it definitely has an extreme amount of value there. If you guys do subscribe to the newsletter, you'll see this in the uh, the outline that I wrote. But uh, C is for caveat. And uh, there are about three moderators of the relationship between um, the perception of the manager and the person asking or seeking advice. Um, and these are all from the the discussion in the uh, in the article the first one is it depends on the difficulty of the task and by that asking too many questions on simple tasks can lead to the appearance of incompetence now, if you're coming to them with something that you've worked really hard on that's really difficult now we talked about this in a previous episode uh, I mentioned uh, doing some unit testing on a blog that I was writing and, uh, you know, I talked to Will and I talked to a couple of our other friends that are senior developers, and they all gave me the same list of things when I first mentioned, hey, I could use help with this. And it was all things I had already done. And it was just they're, you know, they're rolling out the obvious things that as a senior dev, they first thing that pops in their head as a junior dev, they're like, you know, this may not be the first thing that pops in your head. And both both Will and um, one of our other friends gave me the exact same list, almost in the same order. <laughs> yeah. It's just, which was really funny. Which but from least effort to most. Yes, yeah. And, it's uh, optimized. Uh, and I, I, I told them, I'm like, yeah, I've, I've done every single one of those, and it's still not working. And Will said, okay, well, now it's an interesting problem. Yeah. And it was, that was one of those little internal things where I realized, okay, you know, like, I want to help you. But at the same time, if it's some problem I've solved a hundred times, it doesn't engage me as much. Mm -hmm. Whereas when you tried everything I would try and you still don't have an answer. No. Now all of a sudden it's like, okay, now this bugs me. Mm -hmm. And I actually uh, went to a developer senior to me with a SQL problem. And yeah. it's the same, same process. Yeah. But, I mean, that was the same kind of deal. You know, he asked me all the usual questions it was the same mm -hmm. you know you tried you tried this you tried this other thing did you you know did you drop and recreate the view it was, you know mm -hmm. it was the, the obvious things the next uh, moderator is 
a personal approach. It was found in the study that managers and the advice givers had better perception if they were asked personally than if they were asked as a group or if they saw the person go to another. Yeah, well, and you can get some pretty interesting political problems, too, if you ask a whole bunch of people. Mm -hmm. One thing if you ask somebody they don't know and then you go to somebody else. Exactly. But if you ask somebody and they and they answer you, and then you go to the guy across the hall that they don't like, that starts looking a whole lot more like undermining instead of asking questions. And so you do have to be aware of the political implications. Well, it also kind of ties into the third one, and that is the advisor's expertise. The more expertise they have in an area, the better their perception is going to be of you asking them for advice. Well, yeah. And so, like, for example, me asking you for advice on .NET code. Right. You know, that, that's going to be perceived by, you know, according to the study, by you, you will perceive more confidence in me asking you that than if I asked you something about Ruby. Right. You know, it, it's often been said that human beings mold their gods in their own image, but what they really do is they mold their apprentices or the people who look up to them in their own image. And mm-hmm. so if they see that, that builds rapport. Mm-hmm. Essentially, you're... you're you're coming into a situation, they go, oh, well, this is just like I was 10 years ago or five years ago or whenever, mm-hmm. versus uh, he's kind of going on a different path and, uh, you know, no. it, it just, so it is better to ask an expert simply because they will appreciate it, generally speaking. Mm-hmm. There's, there's certain fields that they get hammered with questions all the time and a lot of dumb questions. Yeah, and that, that goes back ones. to the, the, number one, the difficulty of the task, like too many questions. And um, we'll kind of get into this when we talk uh, in the very next section about what are good questions. And to start this off, I want to talk about the difference between open-ended and closed-ended questions. You will hear, and some of the the research I did um, actually ignored quite a few posts that said never ask closed-ended questions. Because that, that's... That's stupid. Yeah. Sometimes the answer, you know... You're asking a question to get an answer. Mm-hmm. And also, it's they have a different purpose. Right. You know, and I understand where they're coming from with only ask open-ended questions. Well, but... like, if you're interviewing, you know, you really, you have a mix of both. Most of them are open-ended questions because they, mm-hmm. they want to see where you go with it. Yes. Whereas if you're calling tech support on the phone, mm-hmm. you don't want an open-ended question. You want to get off the phone. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And so so a closed-ended question is one that will have a single-word response. Most of the time, this will be a yes-no question. It could also be an identification question or an either-or question. These are really great for conversation starters. Uh, for example, can you help me with whatever? Because you you may think that this person is an expert in this area, and they may say, you know what, there's somebody over here that is better than me, why don't you ask them? Yeah. Um, well, the other thing, too, is if you ask for something small first, there's a psychological tendency to agree to something larger later. It's a sales yeah. principle. It, it really is. I wasn't going to really get into that, but yeah, that's true. That's true. And another one is, um, you know, it, I'll talk about this at the very end, too, but respecting their time by asking just the simple closed-ended question, do you have a moment for a couple of questions? So that's closed questions or closed-ended questions. Um, 
open-ended questions require more than a one-word response. And they're used to open up a dialogue um, or to dig deeper. And the example I have on this one is something we, we've talked about in, uh, in a previous podcast, but is, you know, you, you ask, hey, do you have a moment for some questions? And then you come out with, how would you handle asking for, a customer asking for the impossible? Yeah. That's an open-ended question because it's, that's not a one-word response. I mean, you know, also ask questions that are intended to create a back and forth. Um, I've had to do this fairly recently with, okay, this is the coding concept I want. I don't remember what this is called. And I actually asked our mutual friend this morning uh, yeah. this question because it was, it was over a data structure thing that I was, I was like, crap, I know what this is. And I want something that looks just like this, and I cannot for the life of me think what what it is. Yeah, I've had that happen before. And, and he looked at it, and we talked back and forth, and he goes, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's a thing. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it basically turned from me asking an open-ended question to a commiseration session on just how we're getting old and we can't remember crap anymore. When do you use a closed-ended versus an open-ended question? Well, a closed-ended question, it's really good for initiating conversation or ending kind of ending it. Yeah, they're good for the, the kind of bookends of conversations. Uh, early on, they can establish the advisor's expertise. Um, and in the end, they're really great for clarification or summary. So they, you ask a question, you get an explanation, and then you summarize that back to them to show your understanding because there have been several times where I have gotten an explanation and when I summarized it back, I was told, no, that's wrong. Or, yes, but. Yeah, oh, I do that to you all the time. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because, yeah, and part of that too is you'll ask a question and then I phrase it and then you hand it back to me and I realize that now that I... I've seen the way you're thinking about it. That first answer wasn't quite really mm -hmm. the way to put it. Like I think especially like with object inheritance and some of those kind of things oh, yeah. that are, well, you could have meant this, but you really meant this other. Mm -hmm. And that it's not as clear cut as people want, yeah. want it to be. So good questions are planned questions. Um, before you go and ask the question, make sure that you've attempted to solve the problem on your own it will make you look more competent to come in and ask your question. And then when they, a lot of times they'll ask, well, what have you done? Or what have you looked up so far? And then be able to say, well, I know this and I've looked up this. And that makes you look like you are really putting in the effort because you are. Well, the other thing is, is those facts that you learned while trying to research this thing, they'll come up later. Yes, exactly. I've had that happen that's, quite a few times. Yeah, you know, that's why when I get into a new code base, a lot of times for the first few days, I don't ask any questions. Mm -hmm. I blunder through because I'll find just random stuff that over the next six months, there's a payoff. When you're asking your questions, be sure you can describe what you've already done or what you've already tried so you're not wasting their time. It's like we, we mentioned before where I asked you for help with uh, with the unit testing and you shot off a list of things like, have you done this? Have you done this? Have you done this? Have you done this? And I was like, yeah, I've done every single one of those. And you know, um, it's still not working. And that, that way you don't waste 
the the person's time to, if you can if you know that yes I've done all those things. Um, well, and be sure and remember the second time too mm-hmm. when you ask the same question twice. That's a big time flag for people. Mm-hmm. They'll they'll remember that because they remember the last time you asked the question. And so when you don't remember the second time, it, it can really look bad. So if you have to write it down, write it down and mm-hmm. memorize it, but don't ask the same question twice. Now, a slight caveat to that is you may have a question about the same kind of thing and going back to the same person that helped you the first time, yeah, like a slightly can, different question, then you can say, you know... I, well, I, you can relate it to the previous question. Exactly, yeah. And then they, they know that that registered and mm-hmm. that time counted. Yeah, that's, that's very and true. And that, that raises your standing, really, mm-hmm. with them. Yeah. If you think about this as a kind of a game theory thing, it's like, you're, it's like when you play an MMO and you do quests for mm-hmm. a different faction, you're raising your reputation. Yeah, exactly. That's a great By way of putting actions. it. Yeah. Um, now, also with this, expect to ask follow-up questions, because just plan when you're when you're planning out your questions to ask. Plan on having follow-up questions to what they say, and that is follow-up questions that you're not thinking of now. Like, give yourself the mentality of, I'm going to come up with some follow-up questions in the moment and. Be ready for that so that you don't ask your question, get your answer, and then walk away and go, I really wish I had asked them what they meant about this specific thing. Yeah, or you know, go back and code and then tomorrow think of it. Yeah, exactly. You know, actually think through the go, answer. Yeah, and, and go, go in with the mindset of asking follow-up questions. Um, and just kind of for a structural perspective, you want to move from more general questions down to more specific questions. Yeah. And this is kind of a sales tactic where you move from general to specific. And then finally, under, you know, good questions or planned questions, um, focus your question to ask one thing at a time. Yeah, don't ask about two rando mm-hmm. parts of the system. Or don't ask about, the, you know, unless unless they're actually tied together in some way. Don't, don't pepper somebody with questions because those context switches in the middle really, really throw people. And it makes them feel a little confused, and they don't like that. When somebody jumps around a lot, you're like, okay, what are they, what are they getting at? How much crap is fixing to land on my plate? Mm-hmm. Because of all these these very far-ranging questions that they're asking. Or is yeah. this person crazy? Along with that, though, you want to leave your assumptions out of the question. Because sometimes, I know I've done this a lot when I was in school, but um, I'm a know-it-all, so... Sometimes you you ask a question to show how much you know. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you, when you're asking, when you truly need help with something and you're asking for advice, leave the, leave the assumptions out. You know, don't ask a question, why is it that we do it this way? Is it because, you know, budgetary reasons? You know, you, you don't want to do that. You just want to leave it at the, why is, why are we doing it this way? Because that, when you add those assumptions, it narrows the scope of the advice that you can receive. Well, and it can also get people's backup because it's not really relevant. You're editorializing. Exactly. Asking, okay, is this because of budgetary reasons? Or going and saying, hey, why's the code this way? Is the previous developer just that bad? Mm-hmm. I've seen that one. I've, I've resisted saying that one quite a bit at places I've worked. And the reason is, is, well, the hiring manager is the guy you're working with. 
he's he's not going to just be okay with you calling the previous guy bad because one thing it's kind of rude, mm-hmm. even if they were bad. And the other thing is, is who hired them? Yeah. It, so it just you got to play politics and you got to think about these kind of things. Like this is not something that you can ignore. As well, it, it goes back to planning out your questions. Yeah. If your if your question is planned out, then you're not going to do that. If it's off the cuff, you know it's it's a reactionary question, then you're more likely to to not think about the consequences of that um, little bit of extra the editorial you put in there. Yeah. So with that, you know, you may have them want to know your opinion. Uh, I know several times I've asked you questions and your response was, well, why do you think it happened like that? Why do you think it's doing that? Because you wanted to see where I was to build your response around that. And when, when you are asked that, that is when you give your opinion or your assumption. Right. Don't, I don't want to say don't volunteer it, but don't force it on them. Right. Well, the other thing is that gives me time to answer. Yeah. <laughs> well. You know, if you catch me off guard, I'll do that in a heartbeat. Uh-huh. As I'll put the question back on you. Yeah. So it works so, well. So when to ask and when to wait, and this is just kind of a really quick kind of closing this out, is um, you want to ask questions to push the project forward, to push your learning and your knowledge forward. Um, right. You don't want to ask questions complaining. Yeah, not, I don't want to ask questions complaining, not, yeah, because that puts people on the defensive. You don't want to put them on the defensive, and you don't want to do it just to show how much you know. I mentioned that earlier, I mean, yeah, at some point. and you, you want to ask questions when you've exhausted all other options on your own. When you, like, I don't ask Will anything until I have at least done a cursory Google search on it. Yeah, and sometimes you can't, because like, yeah. if you don't know the word for something... Mm-hmm. It's you know like the problem I ran into this morning. It's like I, I could look this up, but I don't I don't know what this is called. Mm-hmm. And my friend also didn't know, so it didn't help. Yeah. But you know I, I didn't I wouldn't have asked if there was any way around it as mm-hmm. far as as far as that went because it would waste his time. If yeah. I could just Google search it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, exactly. Um, and then also you want to make sure that. You and uh, the person you're asking, your mentor or whoever it is that you're asking advice from, that you both have time for a conversation. Right. And this you goes back to, to the, respect their time. Yeah. This goes back to the yes or no questions. This is the, hey, do you have a moment for me to ask you question, a few questions about this? And that they can, if they can say no. Most likely, if they don't, they'll say no. Come find me. You know, at this time when I do have time. Well, the other thing is, is you want. When you're trying to get help from people, trying to elicit a response, you want them to feel like they can emerge victorious from it. Mm-hmm. In other words, you don't want to ask them a question that takes 30 minutes to answer when they have three minutes to answer it because they feel like they failed. Mm-hmm. Because what's the other option? They can't answer the question in three minutes. No. For whatever reason. And, and so just kind of being aware of that, you can improve their disposition towards you. Mm-hmm. Without really doing anything, plus you just—I mean, it just stresses people out. Yeah, it really does, and, and um, especially people that are very—you know—some of the most knowledgeable people out there really have a hard time when they can't answer a question because they feel like it reflects badly on them. 
So, yeah, it'll... Mm, no, exactly. And a few final thoughts uh, before we move on to, uh, to giving advice is when you're asking questions, um, remember that it's okay to dig deeper. If you don't understand what they're talking about, keep asking questions until you do. Um, also, one thing that I saw on a lot of the research I did for this was the power of silence. And I didn't really think about that because well, I'm a loudmouth. <laughs> and they're, they're talking about being comfortable asking a question and waiting on a response. Because I wouldn't think, you know, that would be an issue. I mean, I'm a talker, but also when I ask a question, I know when people ask me questions, sometimes I have to think for a few minutes about it to come up with the most appropriate response that will have the most meaning to the other person. Well, this is why I like to ask questions over email is because it's async. Yeah. And they can respond mm -hmm. in a reasonable amount of time. Next, uh, don't interrupt. Let them say what they have to say. It's That's just a respect thing. Uh, yeah. And In particular, I know a guy that he'll ask a question and then you start to answer and he starts talking over you. Every time. And when you're trying to get a point across, because he doesn't ask trying to get an answer. He asks trying to get acquiescence, mm -hmm. which is a completely different thing. And he'll talk over you, and he keeps getting louder. And it frustrates the daylights out of me every, you know, when I have to deal with, with him when he's in that mode. Most of the time he's fine. But yeah. when he's in that mode, it just it tenses me up. Because I want to say, hey, talking louder doesn't, make what you're saying accurate mm -hmm. you know I don't get accuracy is not cheap with a megaphone no yeah. uh, so yeah it's it's very it comes across very 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 quickly mm -hmm. and uh, finally with this uh, be willing to accept the fact that they may not know the answer and uh, a good mentor will tell you I don't know and will will help you find either someone that knows the answer or look up the answer themselves. And really quickly, one of my absolute favorite professors in medical school, super nice guy, he was completely comfortable saying, I don't know, in, uh, in certain labs that were not his field of expertise. He was one of the most respected professors my first year of school because of that. Like, everyone I talked to said they... They thought he was one of the best professors because he did that. Yeah, well, it's it's a humility thing, and it's you're you don't want to waste the time of the person asking the question either by mm -hmm. giving them a crap answer so that you yeah. look good. So, given that you know, we we've, we've discussed it from the you know, the junior dev end, let's talk about some some strategies that are kind of helpful for the senior dev. Uh, the first of these is realizing that junior devs are junior. Mm -hmm. um, that means that some things that you think are obvious are not anymore. Uh, in particular, this happens a lot when people had um, older systems that they had to support, and then the newer system superseded that. Like When I you know, came in on the Windows development stack, it, the assumption was is you knew COM. You understood how COM and COM plus worked and, and all that sort of thing. Well, the junior.net developers didn't because they didn't have to deal with it. I did because I did VB, but yeah. you know most of them didn't. And the assumption was is well, you should understand how that works. So why don't you understand how this works? And then you know whatever this was happened to be something wrapped that or wrapped 
the Windows API. So the first thing is to remember that they are junior. Mm-hmm. And so check your assumptions against that because you may not actually really be giving them a fair shake. Yeah, that's that's very true. I know one thing I do appreciate about uh, the friends I have that are senior devs is they they always make the assumption that I don't know. Like, yeah. like with the example we used earlier with you, it's, you know, you, you go through that list with me and then when I say, yes, I've done all that, you say, good job. Now, now let's really work on this. Yeah. Another thing to kind of bear in mind is that some percentage of the questions they ask, they're going to take your answer and they're going to completely misinterpret it. If, you're, if, it's, if they're on the critical path on your project, you need to be aware of that and try to take steps to make that not happen. Because you don't want this emotional, oh, you broke all the things and our deadline was missed and all this. Because mm-hmm. that puts a lot of strain on the junior dev. It stresses them out. It stresses you out. You don't, you don't want that dynamic. So mm-hmm. if, it, if it is on the critical path, and by the way, your junior devs really shouldn't be on the critical path of the app. No. They... Most of the time. Like, they need to get their skills up in an environment where you where you can fail, right? You don't no. go scuba diving in 200 feet of water with sharks the first time you get off the boat because you get eaten. Uh, the next thing is, is when they're asking questions and they're trying to elicit a response from you, you need to make sure that you show them how to get better as part of it. That's, that's why when you ask, okay, how do I do X? Like, well, you know, you, you looked it up on Google. Did you try this? Did you try this? And the idea here is to get you into a mindset of, okay, how do I, how do I get into a position where next time this happens, I don't go ask somebody. I, I know a process to get a little further along, and that, mm-hmm. that's what you want to do with your developers is, is, sort of not really teach them what to think, but to teach them how to try to solve the problems in that particular environment. I'll say this: this is this makes me think of something from when you and I first started working together, when I first started learning, um, because I came from such a specialized background, uh, I didn't want to admit when I didn't know something. Yeah. And I, I had to get over that. And what I noticed was my personal growth shot up exponentially when I started saying, you know, I don't really know what that is. Could you explain it to me? Yeah. And sometimes I've done that on the podcast where I've said, you know, you were talking about something. I'm like, could you explain that to us? Because me as a junior dev, I don't understand that concept that well. And it's, I can see, I can look back and see my progress when I got over the, almost the fear of asking, of admitting I didn't know something. Yeah, it's the first step of the 12 step program. Exactly. There you go. (laughs) That sounded mean. Uh, no, but you want to you want to empower them, but you want to empower them in a way that allows them to grow. Mm-hmm. And this is part of the whole safety net. They, the developer, need, the other, the junior dev needs to feel like I'm not going to be laughed at for asking a question. Exactly, and th- that's like when I would ask you when I finally got over the not wanting to let you know I didn't know something, and said, "Okay, I don't understand that." Could and you believe explain? me, I knew you didn't. Yeah, yeah. And it was. Yeah, it, it, it took a little while. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, that, that's kind of part of the point is, well, is you want to drive them towards... Yeah, the thing is, what I what I liked about it is you didn't go, oh, well, you should know this, and but yeah. you, you went into explaining it. 
Another thing to bear in mind is to actually listen carefully to the questions because sometimes as senior devs, we don't know. Like stuff, everything changes in this industry rapidly. Mm-hmm. And if you blink, you miss it sometimes. There's, there's been, you know, I mean, just in the, the development environment that I'm working in, there have been seismic shifts and there's more coming. And they're ripping, you know, big chunks of the framework out from under us. And things that used to be true are just not now. Or they're about to become untrue. And there's going to be senior developers that get asked questions by junior developers. And they're going to be wrong. Because they aren't, you know, they they won't know the underlying assumptions that have now changed. And what that ends up doing is, is now the junior developer doesn't think you know what you're doing. Because you Mm -hmm. just gave him a crap answer. And so... How encouraged are they next time to ask? Uh, uh, exactly. And this is something that I, I do like the way that um, you and uh, two or three other people that I talked to have responded to some of my questions, uh, specifically in the .NET framework, which is, you know, which version are you using? Yeah. You know, because like with the... With some of the new stuff that's coming out, they're changing a lot of things. and By the minute. Yeah. I mean, especially like with ASP.NET 5, when that's come down the pipe, the beta versions, I mean, they would, it broke from one version to the next. Like major, major changes. Mm-hmm. And so if you were using, you know, beta 1 and beta 2 was out, yeah. or if I was using beta 1 still and you were on beta 2, what I know might not apply. Mm-hmm. And so that's you know, that's kind of a reasonable thing to be thinking about. Um, another thing is is tell them how to do things, but do not do it for them. Oh, Leave them something that they can learn. There's there's several good reasons for this. Uh, the first is is that that gets that nice little feedback loop of, of they figured it out. Mm-hmm. They they get a victory. It's not he tells me what to type. He types it for me when I ask him a question. That doesn't get you anywhere. Like, you wouldn't hire a junior dev because you need somebody else to type. Um, Another thing that you want to do uh, with your junior devs when they ask questions is you make sure that uh, your responses reflect good practices. Like, don't give people hacky answers. Like, okay, well, this little slimy hack will work. Like, if I just, you know... Doing things like saying, okay, if if you just bounce IIS on your box, this will fix this problem. But next time, what are they going to do? They're going to bounce IIS. They're not going to fix the root problem. So you want to you want to get them into a mindset of, let's go for root problems, not hacky crap. Because bear in mind, when they break it with hacky crap, guess whose desk it lands on? Mm-hmm. Well, the thing too is, if you're going to... If it's a situation where you just, it needs to get done really quick or you have to do something like yeah. that, then... Then you switch it over and you take yeah. over it. And you just go, Wait. I'll just handle it, but you, you watch over my shoulder and I'll show you what I'm doing. Yeah. Or if you're, if you're going to give them you know, the khaki crap, tell them, this isn't how you do this. This is what's going to make it work in this instant. Yeah, because we're, we're in a hurry. Yeah, because we're in a hurry. I know you've done that with me a couple of times. Where you're like, yeah. "This is this is a hack, and I don't want to ever see you do it." But this is a situation where we have to use it. Yeah, or we're putting that there as a stub. Yeah, 
I've done that quite a bit with you. Going, mm-hmm. Look, I don't want to fight this fight right now because I'm trying to fix this other thing. Then I'll come back here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's also a best practice thing. Mm-hmm. It's fight one thing at a time. Well, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just, just logical. Yeah, it's just, it's your mental bandwidth. You don't want to chew up with fighting four problems. You, mm-hmm. you want to fight one problem. Yeah, so you hack the others to get them to get to one problem at a time. Yeah. Um, another thing you should need to do is uh, follow up with them. So, like, the, you know, if the developer has, if the junior dev has come to you with a question, you know, give it enough, you know, give it roughly the amount of time you think it should take, and then go ask them how it's coming. Right? Like, don't be this guy that they come to you with questions and then they get an answer and then they go away and then you don't see where that goes. Let them know that, you're, one, it is going to be followed up on. Mm-hmm. You're going to see how they're doing. Plus, it, it kind of shows that you actually give a crap. And that, that will help the, the relationship. Um, the other thing you'll see a lot of times is you'll see junior devs that have just enough confidence to ask one question. And they don't have confidence enough to ask two. And so they'll ask you a question on how to fix something, and they'll go back to their desk, and they'll go, oh, I bothered him yesterday. Mm-hmm. And they won't come back to you. So if you don't follow up, they sit and spin. So you know, it's it's basically just be a, be a decent human being. And sometimes you're going to see them also, if they ask you a question, and you give them an answer, and they don't use that answer, it's important. You've got to be judgmental to some degree especially if you're a manager going, okay, why did you not do mm-hmm. that? But on the other hand, like, don't take it personally that they didn't take your answer and run with it. It's, it's a very delicate balancing act. I mean, because if you, t- if you do take it personally, well, you know, if they coded a better solution, yeah. or if they coded something that, you know, they, they thought of a different way to do it and it was something that they could actually do versus the thing that you suggested that, that they can't for whatever reason, you know, I, I know I know plenty of developers that, for instance, you tell them, okay, well, you could do this easy in SQL. They can't because they don't know SQL. Well, they're just not they're not comfortable there. Yeah. Yeah, and there's or the level of comfort is not as high as it is in some other language and some other platform, and they may be able to do something there. This this kind of leads up to the the eighth and last point, which is you do have to be protective of your code base and not put them in a situation where the, they're the one that trashed it. You know, and part of this is just not having problems that the junior dev created. Mm-hmm. Because everybody's going to blame them, but it's also going to fall back on you if you didn't kind of keep reins on it, and you're also potentially going to be the one that has to fix it. Mm-hmm. So you do want to be you want to be protective of your code base, but you don't want to be overprotective. So you want to allow them to innovate and to take some risks, measured risks, you know, while protecting general structure. So, for instance, if you do um, all your business logic in your application and you do it in the middle tier in you know, uh, C Sharp, Java, you know, Java, or Perl, or whatever you do there, and you don't like logic in the database, and the rest of the system is not written that way, don't let a junior dev put logic, business logic in the database. Well, yeah. Don't let them make one-offs because that, that churns your whole code base up and it screws the next junior dev that comes in because now the system's inconsistent. So you, you do have to be aware of that in the longer term. Like that's This is not the only junior dev that you're going to have. Part of the deal is, is putting them in an area where they can't do large-scale damage and they can learn safely because the other thing is that they don't want 
to be at a risk, you know, at that level of taking a server down or, you know, God forbid, crashing your website on Black Friday when you're an e-commerce site. <laughs> you don't want to ever put a junior dev in that position because, okay, if they, if they succeed, they're not going to really feel like they did much because they're not going to notice. Mm-hmm. But if they fail... Yeah, there's not a lot of reward yeah, there's for no the upside. risk. Like, yeah. set them up to start pushing them towards the pit of success. Mm-hmm. And you can do that while protecting your, your no. structure. This goes right along with explain to them why you're doing things a certain way. Yeah. Because it, you know, that's going to help them understand future issues they have, or it, it may mitigate some of the, the questions that they have in the future. If, if you can tell them, hey, this is, this is why we do it this way, yes. um, then maybe in the future they won't come to you and say, well, you know, why can't we do it this other way? Because they'll know, oh, well, it's for this reason that well, things are set up this way. And the other reason you want to do that is because you like to take a vacation. And, you know, before we close, I'll tell a little story from college. The network administrator, uh, where we went to school, we were discussing in class how to mess with somebody programmatically. Like, pull a prank. Mm-hmm. Like, that was one of our projects because he thought it would be fun and he just wanted to see what we'd do. And Sounds like him. I did... I forget what exactly I did. I did something that was just evil. And one of the Sounds other... like you. Yeah. <laughs> one of the other students in class goes, why would you, you know, if he thinks like this, why would you hire him? And he looked that guy in the eye, and this was the thing that I, I, I you know, like looking back, I'm like, oh, that's really profound. Then it was funny. Mm-hmm. But he goes, if I hire him, it's his network to protect. If I don't hire him, he is a threat to my network. Sort of have that mindset, not maybe not quite so profoundly put, but if you can enlist the junior developers and make them understand the reasoning, you'll, you'll have help. Like this is good politically for you know, keeping cohesion on the team and keeping the system running. Whereas if you have, you know, if it's adversarial and you have junior devs that don't like the way things are, they will complain the entire time and they'll undermine you. Those junior devs are not going to be junior devs forever. Right. At some They're... point, you're going to be a system architect, or you're going to get out of coding. It's it's the whole, uh, I learned it from you, Dad, kind of thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, My mentors were very good about that, about making sure that I understood why the system was the way it was. Yeah. And they answered my questions well. And I'm still around, and a lot of the people I started with are not, because they, they didn't mm-hmm. have those kind of mentors. Was where they, it got the, up to, they got up to mid-level and they were mentoring somebody else and their teams just fell apart. Was it, was it I think, Bill Gates that said, your, your career as a programmer will be determined by the first job you had out of college? I would agree with that. Oh. It, it definitely makes a huge... I mean, you can overcome it mm-hmm. if you had a really bad one, but if you have a really good one, it, it'll stick with you, especially if you have good mentors. And, and so this is, this is why this is important. We lose a very high percentage of people that that go into software development. They don't make it, you know, five years. And there's another, you know, very large shift. People that are gone by ten, you know, further out, the, you know, the the curve kind of flattens out a little bit. And, you know, there's regular attrition, but those first few years, it's brutal. You know, you want as many junior devs as possible to get through that, mm-hmm. because you otherwise you end up in a market like. You know, well, like Nashville, 
we, we can't seem to get junior developers up to mid-level, and we have no jobs for the, the junior devs. And other places, you don't have any, anybody that, that makes it long enough. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's very important to the community. It's important to your future prospects, because bear this in mind. If you cannot be replaced, you cannot be promoted. And you know, also, you get calls at 3 o'clock in the morning when you're on vacation. So. Exactly, yeah. That, that makes perfect sense. And I think that, that kind of wraps it up, what yeah. uh, what this episode is about. So, uh, Will, what do you have for us this week for Tricks of the Trade? Well, uh, we have a little bit of a change in direction. Really? Yeah. Well, you know, I, we've kind of been kicking this idea back and forth. And while the idea of giving people tools is, is good and all, I think it, it gets increasingly difficult to yeah. come up with tools. And it's possibly not of the best use to the audience because I think we have a lot of people that kind of just need some advice more than anything else. And so that's that's sort of what we would like to get is um, actually start getting some people writing in questions and answering them. Just a little short, you know, five minute or less. Kind of like a mini advice column at the end yeah. of each episode. So think of me as your bearded Ann Landers. <laughs> And uh, we'll get this on. Now we've got a few more, uh, you know, we've got a few more tricks to trade episodes, you know, still queued up. But uh, we, we kind of want to transition off and, you know, start hitting some of the things that the users are looking for. So I think that makes us a little bit more responsive. Plus, it just it just works better. All right. So you guys heard that. Uh, if you have any questions, uh, especially for junior developers out there, uh, if you have any questions for for Will uh, or or, anyone that, or me, or anyone that, that we know, because we'll probably poll them too, um, go ahead and uh, leave us a comment or send us a private uh, private message, and uh, yeah, you may be featured on uh, Tricks of the Trade. If you have a question or comment for us, please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Stand By for Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed under Creative Commons. The intro music for IOTs is OMFG Hello by Argo Fox and is also licensed under Creative Commons and available on SoundCloud. For references, show notes, and to sign up to our email list, be sure and check out the website at www.completedeveloperpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at CompleteDevPod and like our page on Facebook to keep up with news about the show. Thanks for listening. See you next time.